And historians will call them close friends, besties, roommates, colleagues. I'm Ellen. And I'm Sam. And we're just here to cause chaos. <laughs> Ellen, do you want yes. to tell them the exciting news? Oh, you may have noticed there's some new music in the intro. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> we made a new friend named Ublair, who is a very talented artist. She's also apparently very prolific on TikTok, as we learned. Yes. And her most recent song, History Hates Lovers, is an absolute bop. You guys, Ellen sent me the song last week, and then I listened to it on repeat for like three days. Like, I made my lab mates listen to it. I made the, anyone who got in my car listen to it. Like, it is a bop. It's also the new anthem of the show. Exactly. And... We are using it with permission. Yes, we asked. reached out. She's very nice. She's our friend. Yes, she is our new friend. But you should go listen to the whole song. I'll, we'll link it in the bio. It's yes. great. It's also already linked on our Instagram page. We have more news, too. We made more friends. Oh, yes. I don't know when that episode's coming out, though. I will figure it out. At some point, we guest starred... In another podcast. Yes, the whining about herstory girls were nice enough to let us join them. And we had a nice discussion about murders. I had a great time, you guys. It was so much fun. And, like, they mirrored us so perfectly. It was actually almost disturbing. Like, is that going to be us in, like, five years? <laughs> I mean, they were that was already us, like, now. Yeah, but, like... They're older and have significant others and jobs and stuff, so, like... Oh, God. Can't even think about that. Still can't believe. So, for those of you who haven't listened to, this to that episode, slash I'm not sure will have come out before this one, <laughs> um, me and one of their hosts both dressed as Rosie the Riveter without any coordination, <laughs> and it killed my entire being. I turned on the Zoom, and she was Rosie the Riveter, and I was Rosie the Riveter, and it was a Halloween episode, so we all agreed to dress up. And then I found out that she's just me of that podcast. And I'm just Kelly, the other girl. Yeah, it was scary. It was great. We learned that there's a very specific demographic that decides to create a feminist history podcast. Yeah. And we fit it to a T. Exactly. Also, the stickers have been ordered for anyone yes. who has written us a review. Just, like, DM me a screenshot of it on Twitter, Instagram, or email it to me, and I will get you one of these stickers because they are now physical things that exist. And they're awesome. They're so good. For real podcasters now, we have stickers. Yeah, that's, like, the rite of passage is to have stickers. Yeah. Okay. And don't worry about, oh, there might not be enough stickers. Maybe maybe I shouldn't do a positive review because, oh, I might not get something. No, there's enough <laughs> stickers. We got 900 of these suckers. Yeah, no, we got 905. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we have a lot of stickers. Please write us a review. Okay. Are you ready for this, Ellen? Yeah, I don't know who we're learning about. Who is it? So we're not learning about an individual today. In honor of spooky season, because this is our second to last episode of October, 
I'm doing just like a compilation of famous female ghosts. I love it. I'm glad. My ADHD brain was like not here for a single person of research this week. <laughs> Patriarchy keeps telling us, oh, only men can be ghosts. No, women are just as good as haunt. Honestly, as- I think most ghosts are women. Because <laughs> we have way more unfinished business in this lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta keep fighting the patriarchy into the afterlife. Mm-hmm. Nothing keeps women down. Also, these were kind of scary. <laughs> Ooh. So my, like, summaries of each of these ghosts are, like, kind of bare bones. I'm just gonna tell you, like, the stories and, like, where you can find the stories and stuff like that. Um, I would like to just plug another podcast. If you ever want, like, more in-depth ghost research, because, like... Ghosts are fun sometimes. Listen to them, that's why we drink. I got a lot of information from there. And then just the internet. <laughs> People are gonna, like, listen to this episode and get to this point and be like, I mean, they've already recommended two separate podcasts. <laughs> oh, true, I didn't even think about that. Okay, I'm gonna start telling you the story of all these ghosts then. Okay, tell me some ghost stories. Yeah, get our listeners back in with us. <laughs> okay. Spooky voice. The first ghost we're gonna talk about is... The Vanishing Hitchhiker. (gasps) The story goes, a man is driving alone late at night during a storm. He sees a young, beautiful woman on the side of the road. He offers her a ride and potentially his jacket to keep her warm. He drives her to her home, but once they arrive, she disappears. (gasps) Where did she go? Confused, the man rings the doorbell. Like a total creep in my opinion. Just leave. (laughs) And is told by whoever answers the door that the young girl who lived there died years ago in a car accident on a stormy night much like this one. And that's the story of the vanishing hitchhiker. There are a lot of variations of this story. Sometimes the bit about like him knocking on the door is described as the hitchhiker left contact information. And then when he followed up, she was informed that she was dead, which is like a little bit less creepy in my opinion. There's also been a lot of books and movies about this story. (laughs) In the U.S., the most common version of the story is found in Little Rock, Arkansas, where there's actually a family who says that, like, the whole knocking on the door saying that their dead daughter was in the car thing happens to them, like, fairly often. Oh, God. Yeah, right? Wouldn't that suck? That's so traumatic. Right? I wonder if you get used to it. Like, you hear a knock on the door on, like, a stormy night and you're like, not again. Like, she's dead. Go home. (laughs) But versions of this vanishing hitchhiker can be traced back as far as the 1870s. Back then, the version said that it was two people who sat on a train next to each other and one vanishes. Hmm. There's also similar stories that exist in Korea, Tsarist Russia, amongst Chinese Americans, Mormons, and Ozark Mountaineers. Which is just like a really wide range of group. Yeah. Yeah, very diverse. And so back to, like, I mentioned during the story that the borrowed jacket, that she might have borrowed a jacket. Apparently, a lot of times that jacket can be found draped over a gravestone at a local cemetery. Oh, ain't that fun. Yeah, right? (laughs) And then, so there's also a much less grim version of this story that comes from Hawaii, where they believe that the goddess Pele travels the roads incognito and rewards kind travelers. Oh, that's a lot nicer. Right? 
<laughs> As opposed to dead girl just wants to go home. And then also sometimes the story is told as if the hitchhiker has prophetic powers and tells you of future catastrophes. Oh, fun. Yeah, it's believed that sometimes she prevents car accidents. And that's the story of the vanishing hitchhiker, our first fun female ghost. I love it. I remember hearing a version where, like, the guy kept picking her up, like, day after day for a bit because it kept... Like, I don't know, being stormy. And then finally she was like, uh, she did the whole disappearing act and he looks like, well, I've seen her go into that house multiple times. And they're just like, she's been gone. What are you talking about? I think that's the version from Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, that like kids book we all had when we were little. Oh my God. Yeah, because the version of it's in there too. They were so influential in my childhood. And their art style was so disturbing. Yeah. There were some weird things that just, like, we all had as children. There was a particularly terrifying story I remember in that book, where there was, like, a scarecrow that, like, just started slowly coming to life. And the two farmers who were there were just like, well, I guess this is happening. I don't like that. <laughs> it, it, no, it was bad. They're like, hey, has he been moving? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> great <laughs> and to the point where they're like okay we should leave and then they're like leaving and they're like oh man we forgot that we forgot that bag we need we need to go one of us needs to go back to get it and they're like well I don't want to go back and the other guy's like I don't want to go back finally one of them goes back and just doesn't go back to the meeting point and then the guy's like well I should probably figure out what happened and, you know, Scarecrow definitely killed him. Oh, I thought you were going to be like, he goes back and then it turns out his friend is now the Scarecrow or something. Oh, no, no, no. Scarecrow was... Scarecrow killed the dude. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. See, if I was making a movie of that story, he would go back and, like, the Scarecrow would now have his friend's face. Well, that, that might have been what it was implying. Mm. Guy was definitely dead. Cool, Whether cool. or not the scarecrow took his face off is up for interpretation. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> Glad to hear it. The next one is Japanese. You ready to hear me mispronounce some stuff? Oh, Japanese scary stories are always so messed up. This is the Chukisake Ona, aka the Slit Mouth Woman. Oh no. The story goes a young child is walking along alone. And a beautiful woman with long black hair and pale skin walks up to them. She has a mouse covering the bottom half of her face. She asks the child, do you think I'm beautiful? If they answer no, they die immediately. <laughs> if they answer yes, she takes off her mask to reveal slit from ear to ear. Then she asks the child yet again, do you think I'm beautiful? If they answer no, she kills them. If they answer yes, she gives them a mouth just like hers. Dun, dun, dun. So, the Kuchisake Ona is a Joker-style villain, I think. <laughs> and she's said to carry a sharp object and wear a face mask, often described as a surgical mask. And when she reveals her face to her victims, it has a grotesque slit. So that's what the anti-maskers are so worried about. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Some descriptions of her also have her having multiple layers of numerous sharp teeth. Sounds about right. 
And the stories say you can potentially survive your encounter by saying she looks average, or by distracting her with money or hard candies. I'm sorry, just imagining. Do I look pretty? Meh. (laughs) Also, you cannot run away because she is supernaturally fast. Of course. Now, the story behind her, though. She is believed to be the spirit of a woman who was mutilated during her lifetime. And the, there's only so many ways that happens to women. Some versions of the story have her being an adulterous wife of a samurai, and then her husband punished her for her infidelity with the mouth slit, which is awful. Yeah. Other versions say that she was mutilated in a botched medical surgery, which honestly is the best case scenario here. It's really bad when that's the best case. Yeah, because the third version I found said that she was mutilated by another woman who was jealous of her beauty. That's dumb. Mm-hmm. That's a dumb version. A similar spirit appears in South Korea under the name Red Masked Woman. I'm assuming it, that was the translation, but that was what I found. And that's the story of the Kuchisaka Ona. Beware of masked women with sharp objects. Yeah, but she only preys on children. That's worse. <laughs> Why would you say that like it's better? Well, just, like, I don't think our listeners have to worry about it. (laughs) Our next ghost is the ghost of Anne Boleyn. I'm not going to go too detailed into her story, because I do plan on doing an episode on her eventually. Mm -hmm. But the cliff notes for you is she is King Henry VIII's second wife. And she was unable to produce a male heir, so therefore was charged with adultery, incest, and treason. Huh. I don't think all those crimes sound right, but okay. Nope. Also, fun fact about human biology, if she's not giving birth to boys, that's Henry's fault. (laughs) However, Anne Boleyn's spirit to this day haunts the Tower of London, the surrounding buildings, and her childhood home, Heaver Hall. How far away are all those buildings? Well, the Tower of London and the surrounding buildings are all near each other, but her childhood home, I think, is like in the countryside. So does she just teleport, or does she, like, have to travel between those two? So there are different theories on, like, how ghosts are made. Some people believe that it's, like, really energy-filled events that are just, like, that energy's trapped in that space. So it's not, like, the person's spirit's actually there. It's, like, a picture of that moment's there. Okay. And so people believe that the ambulance ghost is, like, one of those kinds of ghosts where it's just, like, super energy-filled moments of her life are trapped in these points, and so, like, her childhood home and, like, the place where she was killed and things like that. Okay, so there's not an Anne Boleyn making the trek between London and her childhood home. <laughs> Potentially not. That is just, like, one theory of on ghosts, though, so, like, you never know. It's like when there's always those, always those like, fun, oh, this, this prison is haunted... By who? I don't know. The prisoners who died here. Also, Al Capone was here for like a month. Maybe him. It's like, really? Al Capone haunts every prison in this goddamn country. I know. (laughs) Let him rest in peace, damn it. (laughs) All he did was tax evasion. (laughs) And die of syphilis. But Anne Boleyn's ghost is described as a whitish female figure. And it's kind of like the first one of those, like, kind of white spectra images that, like, we think of as a ghost now. Eh, I'm a whitish female figure. She's not special. (laughs) 
I mean, same. Um, also, this ghost hasn't really done anything super scary. Like, sometimes she'll pop up and, like, make guards piss themselves, but, like, that's really all she does. So she's just generally wandering around being sad in the Tower of London. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is where she was beheaded for adultery, incest, and treason after doing none of those things. Okay, yeah, that that's disturbing. <laughs> also, just, like, gonna tack this on here. Henry's fifth wife, Catherine Howard, is also a ghost because she was also arrested and beheaded for things that she could not control. And But she actually haunts Hampton Court, which is where she was arrested and beheaded. Oh, okay. <laughs> King Henry VIII is a terrible man who created two ghosts. And the really good play six is about all his wives. Just in case you want to know. Did Anne Boleyn and Catherine know each other during life? I don't know. I haven't done either of their episodes yet. I like okay, really did not deep dive into these women because I was like, they will be episodes at some point, but they're both famous ghosts now. But are they friends now that they're dead? Probably not, because they're in like different parts of London, I think. Well, I mean, if Anne Boleyn has to travel between <laughs> London and her childhood home, you know, she might take a detour. I think I choose to believe that these ghosts are just trapped energy from, like, moments in their lives and not their actual spirits, and that their spirits are, like, someplace better. I mean, if you want to have a more positive view about that, sure. Let's get back to scary ghosts, because history <laughs> ghosts clearly aren't going to be our thing, which means that the end of this list where I do ghost first ladies is not going to work out well for either of us. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm here for it. But the next scary ghost is... La, la Llorona? Did I say that right? You just said, like, a la-la noise. <laughs> la, it's L-A, then space, L-L-O-R-O-N-A. And you speak Spanish, so you have to tell me how to say that. La Llorona. La Llorona. Yeah. Okay, the crying woman. I'm gonna go back to my scary voice to do the story. Oh, thank you. La Llorona was once a beautiful woman who was married... But she found out her husband was cheating, and in a fit of rage, she drowned her own children to punish her cheating <gasps> husband. But when she realized what she had done, she killed herself out of remorse. To this day, she is found in or around bodies of water. She is believed to be walking the waterways in search of her lost babies. And she will claim and take the lives of children that she finds on her wanderings to replace them. So go to bed on time, kids. Some who hear her ghostly wails will soon die. <laughs> That's the story of La Llorona, who is a terrifying figure, and they made that super scary movie a couple years ago about. But Yeah, she's the basis of the, like, women in white mythological figure. No, the white woman's someone else. She's later on the list. White? Yeah. How many women... Dressed in white are wandering around screaming near bodies of water. A lot. Oh my god. But La Llorona is really similar to some like mythological figures from other cultures. The Gaelic legends have the Banshee. Greek mythology had the monster Lamia. Lamia is a fun story that if we ever do do that Patreon series you were talking about, I will definitely cover. But more or less, she was a Libyan queen who slept with Zeus and Hera turned her into a child evening night haunting demon. Oh, so, like, that's fun. So, a lot of cultures have a scary female figure who eats children as a, like, way to tell kids not to wander off by themselves near water. <laughs> <laughs> Which I guess makes sense. 
Yeah, I guess it's a good explanation for instead of the kid fell in and drowned, like, no, they were taken by a ghost. You gotta love those, like, super scary cautionary tales that you tell kids and then definitely scars them for life. I feel like Greek child, or not Greek, German childhoods are just, like, all terrifying cautionary tales. I mean, to be fair, we were just discussing scary stories to read in the dark, which we read ourselves. Like, we chose to put ourselves through that. Yeah, the early thousands was a weird time. I remember I had this one scary book I was reading, and I didn't like the cover because it had, like, this girl with soulless eyes on it. So every time I would, would read it, I would put it... Every time I put it down, I would put it down upside down so that you couldn't see the cover. My mom was like, why you keep doing that? So she started putting it right side up every time she saw it just to mess with me. And she's like, oh. Your mom would. <laughs> she's like, the girl turned the book around by herself. We didn't really read or watch a lot of scary stuff as a kid. And what, are you well adjusted? No, have you met me? I do a podcast. <laughs> I think I'm just not well adjusted in different ways than you are. Okay, fine. <laughs> we can be messed up in different ways. Okay. Are you ready for La Planchada? <gasps> La Planchada. The Iron Lady. Once there was a nurse named Eulalia. She was a beautiful young girl. She was only 15, but at that time you could be a nurse at age 15. She was a good-looking girl with blonde hair, pale eyes, and fine features. She was kind and polite. Everyone knew her as having a very nice demeanor, but very serious person. She was known for being clean and always having a perfectly ironed white uniform. In this version of the story, Yulia falls in love with a young doctor named Joaquin, but Joaquin is not faithful. And at one point, he disappears. Eulalia asks around where he went, but apparently he ran off and married another girl in another city and left her behind. She's heartbroken, becomes cold and distant from people. Many patients begin to die from her negligence. And eventually she is nothing more but than a shell of herself. To this day, the spirit of this nurse is seen walking across hospitals in Mexico. I think the real enemy of this story is the lack of child labor laws. <laughs> Probably, honestly. <laughs> um, so that's one version of the story. The version I choose that doesn't have a girl, like, more or less killing her soul because of a stupid guy um, is a version where there is a nurse who is killed in a violent accident with a patient and now haunts the halls of Mexican hospitals. Also, other stories say that she killed herself after this whole thing with Dr. Joaquin, which also sucks. At least that one makes more sense that she just, she worked so hard, but also so badly <laughs> that she died. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I didn't want to do she killed herself one in my scary voice because I don't like that one. <laughs> okay, fair, fair. I wanted to do the killed by a patient one in the scary voice, honestly, but... Like, that wasn't a very long story. <laughs> Once there was a nurse. A patient killed her. The end. Yeah. But this actually isn't a scary sto- scary ghost. Many of the patients she visits in her ghostly form find, themselve- find themselves mysteriously healed the next day. 
So she is a good nurse. Yeah, she's a great nurse. <laughs> oh, okay. She's just still a great nurse in death. But, like, imagine you die and, like, this got to be over 100 years ago because she was a 15-year-old who they let be a nurse. 100 plus years later, you're still, like, walking around doing your job. Yeah, I know. God, you die and you don't even get to be free from capitalism? I know. <laughs> I can't think of a worse punishment. Also, like, your ghost name is just about how, like, nicely ironed your uniform was every day. <laughs> also, another ghostly lady wearing white walking around. What is up with women wearing white walking around? I don't know. I'm sure if I, like, knew more about, like, spiritual stuff, I would have an answer, because I feel like it's symbolic of something, but I don't. It's gotta be symbolic of something, but, like, white symbolizes different things in different cultures. True, and we've seen someone wearing white in Japan, we've seen someone wearing white in Mexico, I, well, Yorona, I think, is just, like, generic South American. Anne Boleyn's in England? The Vanishing Hitchhiker wasn't wearing white, actually, so... She doesn't matter. Um, she just dressed like a normal person. Yeah. You're right. That is a lot of cultures with a lot of white people. And more Western cultures, it's usually like more purity and innocence. And then in more Eastern cultures, it's usually more representat representative of death. Because like, white is the color of bones. Interesting. Which I guess both kind of work in these cases, but for different reasons. So our next ghost. Because <laughs> I don't have anything else to add on that. Cool. Who's our next ghost? The Bell Witch. Now this one is the only debunked ghost that I'm going to list, but it's a fun one. <laughs> so the Bell Witch lived in the house where the Bell family lived in 1817. This is the spirit of a witch named Katie Batts. And... So this is where, like, a lot of what we think of as, like, poltergeisty things comes from, because this is, like, the first report of ghosts who can make, like, furniture fly around and mysterious noises happen. She would frighten animals and, like, shake cupboards and things like that. Got a lot of rage as a ghost. Yeah. But, so, like, a lot of what we think of as, like, ghostly things that happen come from this story, actually. Another trailblazing woman. I know, right? However, it was later revealed that Betsy, the Bell family's youngest daughter was causing most of the commotions using, like, tricks of light and, like, <laughs> setting up traps and things like that. It turns out Betsy was just rambunctious. Yep. But this story of the Bell Witch, who also, like, the witch's name is Kate Batts, so they named the witch after the family who lived in the house, not the witch herself, which is, like, I have, you know? Well, to be fair, the witch didn't exist. <laughs> Yeah, but she had a name. <laughs> it was all Betsy. Gotta say her name. <laughs> but the Bell Witch is a key inspiration for the Blair Witch Project. So, you know, fun stuff there. Next, we're gonna talk about the White Lady. Oh, finally. The one who's not La Llorona. I think La Llorona might be a version of the White Lady, honestly. Because it's a... So... This is a story that's reported across the globe. Like, this one's all over the world. And more or less, it's just any report of a ghost that wears white, potentially white blood-soaked dress. Usually, it's mostly seen in rural areas. 
and it is often seen before a tragedy of some sort occurs. So it's believed that the spirit is doomed to wander forever in torment until she can receive some closure. In the U.S., we believe that she is a young bride who is tragically killed on her wedding night, forever haunting in her bridal gown. But in medieval England, she was believed to appear by day and night as an omen of death. That's just a banshee. Yeah. I mean, I I think everything's a white lady. <laughs> There's a lot of crossover between all these. Yeah. Because in Scotland, she's rumored to have been the lost soul of a suicidal girl who threw herself off a tower. And throughout Europe, a white female ghost haunts most castles, palaces, bridges, and forests. Like, pretty much if any of those things are haunted, it's by a white lady. So, there's this terrible show called Paranormal Home Investigators. (laughs) And essentially, they bring in, like, a psychic who goes into the house and is like, this place is haunted. And then they bring in, like, a ghost hunter who's like, oh, readings are off the charts. And then they bring in a contractor who goes <laughs> he goes in the house and he's like, man, these pipes suck. They keep making noise that sounds like a ghost. Oh my god. The best part of what you just said is that they bring in a contractor. I know. And I remember watching an episode where this guy's like, okay, listen, so this is kind of out of my job description. But if you look, if it were night and you looked towards that window and the moonlight was shining in, I can see how you would think there'd be a lady in white standing there. It's very bright. I like this guy. I like that he showed up to this and was like, you know, this isn't my job, but here's my two cents. I would see, I would watch a show just with like an exasperated contractor going around to various quote-unquote haunted houses and just debunking everything. Oh, yeah. Like, you know that Zach Bagan show, what's it called? Where he hunts ghosts? Ghost Hunters? Sure. Medi- like, imagine <laughs> right after Ghost Hunters comes on, the next show in, like, the time slot is just, like, exhausted contractor guys goes into the house next and has, like, a full hour to himself. Like, I wouldn't watch the Ghost Hunters. I would watch Exhausted Contractor Guy. Like, you see this? Not up to code. That's why it sounds like it's going... It's screaming every night. Oh. I think we need to call a network. Sci-Fi Channel. Hello. Why don't we start a podcast and we could start a exasperated contractor ghost hunter show? Oh. Our real calling. Next. The OG middle school sleepover ghost, Bloody Mary. So, as we all know, if you are in, if you are looking at a mirror, you dim the lights, you say her name three times while looking at the mirror, then bloodletting will begin, as legend says. Depending on where you grew up and how mean your older siblings were, this can be anything from, like, you will die if you do that, to, like, the room will turn red and a scary woman will be standing behind you. Oh, okay. There's another version where it's the Candyman, and if you say his name five times, you know, there's also, like, death and stuff. What about Beetlejuice? Oh, Beetlejuice is just a demon. <laughs> so, Bloody Mary has its roots in several different women. It is not agreed on who is the original Bloody Mary. There is Queen Mary I, who 
failed to produce an heir, and had a lot of miscarriages, which got her the name of Bloody Mary, which is the saddest thing I've ever heard. Oh my god! <laughs> like, I read that, and I wrote it down, and I felt bad. I feel bad hearing it. This woman went through tragedy. Multiple <laughs> times. So we're gonna call her a name based on that. <laughs> so... I don't know if this is better, but it's better for a ghost story, in my opinion. The next person is Mary Worth, who was a child murderer who killed her children to keep herself young and was then burned at the stake. Which, you know what? Is awful, but a better version than a woman who had too many miscarriages. (laughs) At least she earned the name Bloody Mary. God. Yeah. Some also believe it was Mary, Queen of Scots, who was just known to behead a lot of people. Oh, I heard that there was also a lot of, like, Protestant propaganda, because, you know, she was Catholic, and that's unacceptable, apparently. Mm -hmm. And one of the legends was that, you know, she would kill children and then bathe in their blood to keep her youth. Oh, that's fun. See, that's how you get the name Bloody Mary, not miscarriages. (laughs) Exactly. You gotta actively try to kill some children. Thank you. Um, there's also another version of the story where it's just a young girl who died in a gruesome train accident. Boring. Super boring. But yeah, Bloody Mary. What a time. <laughs> Why did we all do this as children? Children are messed up. Children are weird. <laughs> now we have hit our the rest of the people on this list are real people I might do episodes on someday, so don't ask too many questions part. Okay. First and foremost, we got the White House's super haunted fam. Of course. Firstly, there's Dolly Madison. She was the first lady under James Madison, who was the fourth president of the United States of America, best known for saving the portrait of George Washington from a burning White House during, like, 18... War of 1812? Question mark? Ellen, help me out here. Yeah, that, that, that sounds about right. Cool. She also is known for being, like, the first real, like, first lady, first lady. She, like, hosted social events and, like, made the White House, like, the center of politics in early America and is, like, really kind of credited with creating the job of first lady. And she continues her like, her duties as first lady to this very day. Her ghost constantly frightens gardeners who try and mess with her prized rose garden. Most notably, this happened when Edith Wilson tried to have the garden ripped up, and her ghost literally appeared and was like, "Uh uh-uh. But God, imagine, again, dying and then continuing to do your job. I don't know, this one sounds like fun, like, dying and then just, like, every once in a while when someone threatens your roses, just going and being like, really, bro? Really? (laughs) Get out of here, Edith. God. The next White House ghost, though, is Abigail Adams, known feminist who we stand and will do an episode on one day. She was also the first first lady in the White House, because it, this was right after the Capitol moved from Philadelphia to Washington and the house got built and everything. Plus, she was, like, the second first lady. And she hosted, she was, like, the first person to host dinner parties and receptions and things like that in the White House. Um, but her biggest thing was that she was, like, a huge advocate for women's rights, and she was super politically active and she had opinions on things. But she died in 1818 and her ghost is seen hurrying around the east wing of the White House often, which is like fascinating because the east wing is like 
to this day the first lady's like working wing. Hmm. Yeah. So she's still like doing her thing, making her voice heard. She's still fighting the patriarchy, mm-hmm. even hundreds of years later. You know what might clear the White House of that particular ghost? A female president. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like she would see that and be like, my work's done, I'm out, I'm moving on, I see the light. Have fun with the roses, bye. <laughs> Do you think her and Dolly Madison, like, chill? Of course. I I firmly believe that all the ghosts in the White House are friends. I hope so. They have ghost tea together. <laughs> oh, our next ghost is Theodora Burr. And you might be like, who's that? That's Aaron Burr's daughter. Oh well, yeah, I, I heard the song, Dear Theodosia. So, I felt like I needed to include this, this mostly so that we had an excuse to be like, Hamilton. <laughs> Which we never actually saw together. Oh, yeah. Because pandemic. God, pandemics are so inconvenient. I know. We were supposed to go see Hamilton when I came to Atlanta. I still have never been to the Fox. Yeah. Sorry. I know. One day. I'll go back. It's still there. Yeah. It's been there for a long time. It'll still be there. (laughs) But Theodore Burr. Back to what I was supposed to be talking about. Not my opinions that I'm sad I didn't get to see Hamilton. She, later in life, after, you know, being a baby who had a great song written about her, was the wife of South Carolina's governor, Joseph Alston. And at the age of 29, she boarded a ship to New York in the year 1812, never to be seen again. The ship left from the docks near her husband's plantation because this was the South. In the 1800s. <laughs> Some tales say that she washed up on shore later with a portrait of herself and no memories, only to return to the sea with her portrait in tow. To this day, she haunts the docks at her husband's old plantation, which is now known as Brook Green Gardens. She's also seen near her old summer home in Debrador. I'm sorry. I'm just imagining, like, a woman... You rushes up on shore. No memory. Just has a picture of herself. <laughs> and people are like, who are you? What are you doing? Are you okay? And she's like, who am I? Who's this? And instead of, like, dealing with any of these problems, she walks back into the ocean. <laughs> well, she's, she's a ghost. <laughs> oh, she was dead by that point. <laughs> I assumed so in the story. So it's a ghost story? Because that makes slightly more sense. <laughs> than a woman just washing up and being like, nah. Now, <laughs> tragically, we have reached our last ghost of the episode. No. <gasps> this is the ghost of Olive Thomas, a famous silent film actress. She died on September 10th, 1920, in Paris at the age of 25. Her death was ruled an accident, but under suspicious circumstances. Speculations say it could have been a suicide. My unfounded theory from not reading anything about the circumstances of her death says maybe it wasn't. This is the kind of thorough research you get here. This is what you get on the Chaos cast when I researched 11 ghosts for this episode. But 
this story was one of the first heavily publicized Hollywood scandals. It like made all the press and whatnot, and like she was a big deal at the time. So her name was like all over the papers about how she like died accidentally in suspicious circumstances. You know how like that kind of stuff goes in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. But to this day, she haunts the New Amsterdam Theater in New York City, which is where she used to be a stage star. Some say they can still hear her scream, but silently. <laughs> so so they can't. Yeah, she's known for frightening stagehands. <laughs> Crew members apparently say that you have to say goodnight, Olive, before you leave the theater each night. And if you don't, like if no one says goodnight to her, then when you come back, all the lights will be on and some things will be moved around. <laughs> so she's a petty ghost. I love it. She's not gonna. She's not gonna murder anyone or anything. <laughs> but she'll ruin your organization system. Yeah, she's like, you didn't say goodnight to me. Oh yeah, good luck finding your post-its, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds so much better than the Phantom of the Opera. Oh yeah. And that's eleven. Go- oh wait, no, I did twelve ghosts. That's twelve ghosts for you. That's so many ghosts. Cause I forgot about Abigail Adams when I was counting. <laughs> Oh, fair. So I hope you enjoyed your 12 ghosts for your spooky season. Honestly, I did. We should do some more episodes kind of like this. <laughs> you like me just doing, like, listicles of women? I, it really fits my not-diagnosed ADHD brain. <laughs> well, next week for our actual Halloween episode, it's probably gonna be, like, a murder or something. It's gonna be great. I'm also excited for that. We will see what I decide on Monday. But Sam, you know how you just discussed a bunch of ghosts? Yes. But what if we talked about a metaphorical ghost? I'm scared. <laughs> I'm more scared right now than I was during reading this lip-mouthed woman. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't be scared. It's... <laughs> A ghost of transportation. We're discussing the penny farthing bicycle. God, you didn't even try and do the spooky season theme. (laughs) No. Here's what happened. (laughs) Is I decided that I want to learn how to ride a bike, or at least figure out if I already know how to ride a bike. How do you not know how to ride a bike? You are 22 years old. I told you, when I was nine... I was riding a bike, tried to go up a hill, fell down, hurt my elbow, got up, and said, I'm never riding a bike again. And now it's been 13 years. I mean, that's a very believable story for you. (laughs) I, on the other hand, probably would have looked at that hill and been like, screw you, watch me ride this bike. (laughs) Like, nothing is worth this. So, as with any new sport... I did what my dad taught me when you try to get into physical activity, to research it through reading. Yep, that's your dad. Yeah. Love that man, he's great. <laughs> exactly. I So then I looked up bicycles, so then I quickly fell down the rabbit hole of whatever the heck a penny farthing is. <laughs> and I was like, this is hysterical. When you say that, all I can think about is like, the guys who, like, try and do steampunk and, like, ride around on them with their, like, top hats and weird glasses and, like, think they're all old school. 
Exactly. <laughs> you know what? I completely support your decision to get a penny farthing bicycle instead of a normal bicycle. <laughs> I gotta figure out if I can ride a normal bicycle first. I think penny farthings are supposed to be easier, I think. So, like, I think that's what you should start with. <laughs> or, better yet, just go straight to a unicycle. Send me lots of videos. I can't be a sword fighter and a unicycler. That's too many things. Okay, you guys, wait. Sometime this week, I'm going to drop Ellen's sword fighting video on the Instagram. So, like, look out for that. It's going to be great. <laughs> Let's get into this bicycle. Okay. Slash penny farthing. So, it has a couple of cool names. Like a high wheel, a high wheeler, or an ordinary. <laughs> what? Exactly. <laughs> Why is it called an ordinary? It's like the least ordinary thing. I will explain. So, basically, they had the penny farthings, and then there were, like, these newfangled, quote-unquote, safety bicycles, which were just, like, modern bicycles. Okay. And so you could either have the safety one or the ordinary one. <laughs> That's hilarious. I'm not gonna lie. I know, right? Is it safety because you're closer to the ground, so you'll, like, fall less high? Actually, yes. Hey, I understand <laughs> physics! So, the penny farthing was, like, really big in the 1870s and 1880s, but by the, eight, the late 1880s, we'd already, we figured out modern bicycles, so they were pretty much out of style. And actually, the name penny farthing, the first print reference is in 1891, so it was probably only being used after people stopped using penny farthings. Nice. But it comes from the the name comes from the idea that if you put the British penny and a British farthing coin next to each other, what it would look like the big wheel and the little wheel, like a little, so it's like a penny farthing next to each other. I'm sure this would be better for a picture, but whatever. <laughs> I mean, I think we all know what penny farthing bikes look like. Exactly. Imagine that, but coins, <laughs> and that's where their name comes from. Yes, and it was actually the first thing to be routinely called a bicycle. Oh. Was there anything before it that, like, would have counted as a bicycle? Yes. <laughs> there was a reason they had to invent this monstrosity. <laughs> so, before we had penny farthings, there was the bone shaker. I already don't like it. <laughs> Basically, it was like this, like, iron contraption that, like, looked a lot like a modern bike, but it didn't have the chain, so it just, like, rattled, and you sat on it, and you were just, like, extremely uncomfortable. <laughs> How did it work without a chain? Could you not control it? Could, only, could you only go downhill? Like, I don't understand physics okay. of bicycles, but just... The bone shaker would shake your bones. That's all you need to know. Okay. That was as far as I got, and I said, yeah, that that's enough. Gotta know, you're going into a podcast with a mechanical engineer. I want to know how this thing works now. <laughs> Look up the bone shaker. I'm about to. <laughs> okay. Anyway, the penny far thing was invented by Eugene Meyer, who is a Frenchman, who realized that he needed to figure this out after everyone was riding a bone shaker and it sucked. 
Let's go over why they were a bad idea. So, why are they dangerous? Well, there's the risk of headers, which is where you fall over the handlebars head first. This was such a problem that the makers invented, quote, mustache handlebars, which prevented the, which allowed the riders to, like, keep their knees, like, in the bicycle so that they wouldn't go flying over. There were also Watton handlebars that wrapped behind the leg. And at the very end, there were a couple of them where they just, like, reversed the wheels. So, like, the little wheel was in the front and the big wheel was in the back. Which, like, made it less likely that you were going to flip over the bicycle. But if you were going uphill, there was a much higher risk of you falling out of the bicycle. And the opposite direction. So there was just a lot of fan. If only we could find a way to make this bicycle less dangerous. Just as, like, a side note, I did just look up the bone shaker and how it worked. So there were pedals on only the front wheel. So the back wheel was, like, uncontrolled. So the lack of a chain didn't mean you couldn't go uphill, which was what I really thought was going to be the case. It just meant that you were only controlling the front wheel. Front wheel drive. I actually watched a video of this guy, like, demonstrating how to get on and off this thing. And it's just, like, he's, like, wearing, like, a t-shirt and khakis. And he's on this comical Victorian bicycle. And it was, like, a very, like, mellow, chill video, and I'm just, like, laughing hysterically. <laughs> ah, good times. Anyway, so even though this penny farthing was, like, incredibly dangerous, <laughs> it was also, like, really popular, because it was just simpler and faster than the other options, and it didn't shake your bones. So... Once they figured out how to put the chain on the bicycle, they, they became much less popular. And then the second big innovation that allowed people to stop using these was the pneumatic bicycle tire, which is rubber wheels that are, like, around a metal wheel, I think. Oh. Yeah. So, like, how tires work now. <laughs> <laughs> and... There's also one of the greatest betrayals in history. I'm actually very much exaggerating. So, one of the guys who, like, really popularized the penny farthing was this dude named James Starley, who invented... He was called the Aerial High Wheeler, because Aerial is spirit of the air. But then his nephew, John Kemp Starley, popularized the modern bicycle... How dare he? This was a really bicycle-heavy family. I feel like nowadays this would be the kind of family who, like, goes mountain biking together. Honestly, they probably did that back then, but, like, much more dangerously. Could you mountain bike with a penny for a thing? I feel like you'd definitely die, like, immediately. Imagine how silly it would look. <laughs> you'd die in a really silly way. There are still penny farthing enthusiasts today. They, for some reason, don't like the name Penny Farthing and like to call it an ordinary. Just just to be a contrarian, honestly. 
Yeah, I think it's just because all the, like, I can tell you exactly who is still into the penny farthing, and they are the kind of people who would want a different name just for the vibe. <laughs> you don't get really into penny farthing bicycles by being an ordinary person. No, you get into them by being an aggressive hipster who likes steampunk too much. <laughs> and, like, this is nothing against aggressive hipsters. Like, I describe my own aesthetic as cottagecore. I'm just like, be real with yourself <laughs> and what you are. Let's talk about some of the records that Penny Farthings have set. So, the first, like, farthest it got in an hour was in 1876, when it got 15.8 miles. Which, yeah, is decently Ooh. far. That's the furthest record in an hour was 22.09 miles in 1886. And then the final record, well, the final record till the 21st century, which we'll get into, <laughs> was in 1891 with 21.10 miles. Wow. However, oh. Scott cyclist Mark Beaumont at the Hernville Velodrome, sure, <laughs> In 2018, covered 21.92 miles. <laughs> wow. What are you doing with your life in 2018? Well, that's what you're doing, fam. In 1884, a dude named Thomas Stevens rode a penny farthing all across the world. He started going from San Francisco to Boston and then just said, well, I might as well. And just kind of kept going. So you like take it on a ship and like sail it to like England or something? Like... Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay. Yeah, after he got to Boston, he went on through London and Europe, the Middle East, China, Japan. You know, just. Oh wow, that's like not even just like the Western world, but like people at that time, people would have time period would have been like, this is the whole world. Like, the actual world. Yeah, this is the round the point they had around the world in 80 days. They knew that, that the world was round, Sam. I know they knew the world was round, but they were, they were real so racist. racist. The legacy of the Penny Far thing lives on. Because it had, like, one really big wheel, it ended up... Uh, another name for it... Uh, well, writers who wrote it were called Wheelmen. And that name kind of stuck. So the, the League of American Bicyclists, up until 1994, was called the League of American Wheelmen. Oh my god. There are still clubs that get together and ride their penny farthings. And you know who's in those clubs? Hipsters. Aggressive mm -hmm. steampunk hipsters. And there's a few events that you can go to to ride a penny farthing. Okay, like, I know I've been making fun of them this whole time, but when are we going? So every February in Evandale, Tas Tasmania, there's a series of penny farthing races, including the national championship. We gotta start training now, Ellen. Once we figure out if I know how to ride a bike. Skip the bike, learn how to ride a penny farthing, train, <laughs> let's go to Tasmania. It'll be great. Uh, in 2008, another dude, this time named Britton John Summerfield, did the round a world in a penny farthing thing. In 2008? Really, bud? <laughs> Come on. 
the history was interesting, but like all the modern records really were what destroyed me when I read this. <laughs> like it's one thing to do it around the same time as Nellie Bly. It's another thing to do it when like <laughs> it's two thousand. Like you can't do it during Britney Spears' lifetime. <laughs> That's where I draw my line. <laughs> Britney Spears would support him. I'm sure she would, but if she was alive, it is too late to be doing around the world records. If you listen to our podcast, which you don't, use your freedom to ride a penny farthing. I feel like there's better things that Britney could do with her freedom. Almost anything would be better. And I don't know why she was the first, like, famous person in their (laughs) 30s I could think of. So, that about sums it up. Any questions? Yes, when do I get a picture of you writing one? As soon as I find one, Sam. They're not exactly common nowadays. You know, I really learned something on this one. Like, I can't say that about all your hyperfixations, because sometimes I just already know a lot of random (laughs) stuff in my own brain. But, like, I got something this time. And you didn't see it coming. I did not. I really, I thought we had agreed that it was October. I thought we agreed that I don't stick to themes. Uh, I'm gonna keep trying to be like, this is the theme this week, and you're gonna keep ignoring me, aren't you? Uh, Maybe when we do the Frida Kahlo episode, I might be convinced to do Trotsky's Death by Ice Pick. That's at least kind of related. I still don't know how. I did realize that ever since we decided I'm doing all the, like, women's research on this, that there are a couple of people on our list that were, like, very much you put them there that I'm gonna have to figure out stuff about now. Maybe we'll do, like, some special episodes. Yeah, when the, like, anarchists come on, that's when Ellen will come back as a researcher. <laughs> Ellen had a chill enough week that she could both edit and research. And Sam is here. So we're gonna talk about an anarchist. <laughs> Well, what did you learn today? Well, I learned that a lot of cultures have obsessions with women in white who scream. They don't all scream. Eh, They might as well. I enjoyed learning about different cultures' absolutely terrifying legends. Uh, Like, whatever the Japanese slit lady is. Right? That might have been my favorite one. That's the vanishing hitchhiker. (laughs) Who can be distracted by... Either candy or just saying, yeah, you're all right. Or money. Don't forget money. <laughs> and we realized that the most interesting ghosts are the ones who murdered children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, La Llorona, the better versions of Bloody Mary. Gotta do something to keep those kids from sneaking out and wandering around at night. We also learned that we need to figure out how we're going to do an exasperated contractor who fights ghosts show. <laughs> oh my god. Give me on our Patreon. <laughs> if you give a dollar, you get a sticker. If you give, like, what, $5,000? I'll take my uncle who works in construction to haunted house and see what happens. <laughs> Alright, Sam, what did you learn today? I learned about Penny Farthing bicycles, and they weren't named after someone whose last name was Penny Farthing, which is definitely what wow. I thought up until today. <laughs> I mean, that's how things are named. It's just some guy's last name, usually. That's <laughs> true. I guess that's not, like, unrealistic. Yeah. But they're super dangerous, but they replaced more dangerous <laughs> options, and then they got replaced by pretty much what we ride nowadays. 
I learned that Ellen knows what the word pneumatic is, which I did not know was a thing. <laughs> to go back, if I had found enough information on the bone shakers, that's what we would <laughs> I taught you about bone shakers. Yeah, basically all I got was, they were like bicycles, but so much worse. <laughs> I learned that Ellen's gonna ride a penny farthing for me. <laughs> I mean, we have to find one first, Sam. You know how hard it was to find a sword fighting class? I'm sure there's one in Wisconsin. <laughs> to be fair, I did just Google where to learn sword fighting, so I bet if I just Googled where to ride a penny farthing, it would pop up. Please do. Okay. Before we do our plugs, I would like to do some corrections. Okay. Last episode, I confused Somalia with Sudan, which I'm still <laughs> upset about. I don't know how I missed that. <laughs> but I knew exactly where Somalia was. I just forgot the name. Uh, I also confused Natalie Portman for Kira Knightley. When did you do that? Oh, so apparently Natalie Portman is not in the Pirates of the Caribbean. And I didn't correct you? I'm disappointed myself. <laughs> yeah, so I erroneously said that Natalie Portman became the Pirate King. No, Kieran Knightley became the Pirate King. I'm disappointed in myself for not correcting you. I know. The true Pirate King slash Queen is Shang-Chi. Yes. I think we all agree on that. I don't have any corrections. I'm perfect. And so humble. <laughs> okay. Actually, I probably have a lot of corrections for pronunciations, but that's not going to go better the second time. <laughs> So, if you'd like to find us on the interwebs, we are at Chaos Podcast on Instagram. We're at underscore Chaos Podcast on Twitter. You can email us at chaospodcast21 at gmail.com. And if you leave us a five-star review on any platform that takes reviews, please send us a screenshot of it to one of those places, and I will send you a sticker! You guys, the stickers are so great. You want one? Trust me, you want one? So, like, write a review, send it in, I send you a sticker. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfectly reasonable transaction. Yeah. So, we hope you enjoyed the chaos. Wait. Yes. Let's do one more time before we're, we head out. If you want to hear more of us, we are on the episode, we're on an episode of Whining About Herstory, which yes. we will learn more details about and then tell them to you. Once that episode comes out, I will put the link to it in our, in the bio of whatever episode is closest to it. I don't think it's going to be this one. <laughs> no. And our music is brought to you by Ublair, who is awesome. So talented. Go check her out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now we hope you enjoyed the chaos. Safe travels. Bye-bye. Anything but lovers. History hates lovers.